don't get this down yet. All right. Missed our last service, so hopefully anyone online can join in this time, and we welcome you. Uh, so Tyler asked me if I wanted to speak uh, a couple of weeks ago. I was really excited to. I really like teaching. And uh, it's nice when you have lots of time to kind of think about what you want to speak on. And I kind of had an idea in my mind of what I wanted to do. And I've been kind of building it and thinking about it and meditating on it over the last few weeks. And it seemed that God was really leading me in that direction because it seemed like every bit of teaching that I heard, every conversation I had kind of led in this direction. And one of those places that, uh, that happened was at camp. Uh, my wife and I spent a week at Emmanuel Bible Camp. We were counselors there for the senior teen group. And the theme for the week uh, in the uh, Bible messages was God in the wilderness. And it really tied in well with what I wanted to talk about. But one of the things that the speaker did uh, for the chapels with the campers was he would give us kind of this introspective question. Uh, and we would uh, come together into our cabins for five or ten minutes and we would just kind of discuss, and sometimes he would give us some verses. But one of the questions that he asked was, what does God want for us? And I thought that that was a really interesting question to ask, and that's a question that you could answer in a myriad of different ways. But sort of where my mind was at uh, was with a phrase uh, that we're very familiar with from Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, that says, be holy because I am holy. And I just wanted to take some time to kind of unpack that a little bit and discuss it. And the first thing I wanted to do is I wanted to do uh, a little bit of uh, a little bit of a grind to define some words. We're going to look at a few passages. Uh, and unfortunately, my slideshow didn't work out this morning. Uh, so uh, there might be a little bit of flipping um, or tapping if you're using your phone. But uh, if you don't get there, just try to listen as best you can. Uh, so the first thing I wanted to do is define what holiness is, and uh, theologians would define that as a separateness from sin. That would be the most common thing that we would understand uh, about holiness as being separated from sin. But there's another piece to that that we don't often think about, and that is being sort of consecrated or set apart specifically to serve God and bring glory to his name. So there's kind of this two-part piece to that, and one of the ways uh, that we do that is by imitation, and that is one of the pieces of holiness, is that it's imitation. It's what we call a communicable attribute of God. So it's an attribute of God that we can have in our own lives. There's other attributes called incommunicable attributes, like God's all-knowingness or his all-presence that we don't get. I'm working on it, but not yet. Uh, so uh, holiness is one of those attributes that, that God can kind of impart on us, similar to love, grace, mercy, those kinds of things. And so God calls us to be imitators of him so that we can bring glory to his name. And there's lots of things. If you do a, a word search for holy uh, in, uh, in a Bible program or in a concordance, you're going to see hundreds, maybe thousands of references because it's a word and a theme that is scattered throughout all of the word of God. Uh, but one of the things uh, that's interesting to note is that kind of person, places, and things can all be deemed holy. Uh, so one of the things in Gen Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, uh, God declares that the Sabbath day is made holy. Uh, and when he rested from all his work uh, that he had done in creation, he declared the Sabbath day to be holy. He was saying, I'm setting this day apart. It's unique. It's on its own. It's different. And it's a day to be used 
to serve and bring glory to God. Uh, also, uh, something that was uh, deemed holy was the tabernacle. When God instructed the Israelites to first build the tabernacle, that portable place where they met with God, in Exodus chapter 26, verse 33, it says, And the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy place. And so this is something that was deemed to be holy. It was set apart for use for God. It was a place where we avoided sin, uh, where there was no sin, and a place that was deemed to bring glory to God. And also what's interesting about this is that there seems to be levels of holiness, levels of separation here, because it says um, separate the holy place from the most holy place. So there's kind of designations. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And finally, of course, we know that God is holy. Uh, as we've seen in Leviticus chapter 11, and also in Psalm 89, verse 18, it says, For our shield belongs to the Lord, our King, to the Holy One of Israel. So holiness was this pattern that God wanted us to imitate since creation so that his glory could be displayed through us. That is one piece to uh, that idea of holiness is being, consecrate, being consecrated to bring glory to God. And Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 kind of describes this. Um, the writer of Hebrews says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the, whole, and for the holiness with, without which no one will see the Lord. So the idea there is that if we're not holy, people don't get to see God in our lives. And that's one of the purposes of our lives is to be holy and proclaim the Lord through that. The second thing that I want to talk about uh, is sin because sin places us in a sharp contrast to holiness and to God. And that is sort of one of the key components to holiness is that it's a separateness from sin and evil. And so I just want to take a moment to kind of define what sin is. And I'm going to use two different definitions. One of them is from a theologian named uh, Wayne Grudem. Uh, he said, sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. Uh, the next definition that I wanted to use is from uh, something called the New City Catechism. Uh, and this is, there are lots of catechisms that have been written over time. And what they are is kind of a, a really well laid out question answer style of teaching um, throughout the Word of God to teach us about who God is, things about sin, redemption, uh, creation, all of those different things. Uh, and this is kind of a newer, um, a newer catechism that was made uh, based off, I think, the Westminster Catechism. But there's 52 questions, and so the idea with it is that you take a question a week, and that you answer it, you meditate on it through the week. Uh, but this is the way that catechism described sin. This is a little bit wordy. I'm going to read through it twice because it's kind of a lot to take in. Sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created, rebelling against him by living without reference to him, not being or doing what he requires in his law, resulting in our death and the disintegration of all creation. So it's a lot to take in. I wanted to have that up on the screen, but it just didn't work out for this morning. Uh, so I'm going to read that again. Sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created, rebelling against him by living without reference to him, not being or doing what he requires in his law, resulting in our death and the disintegration of all creation. And they tie in with each of these things references. And one of the references for this is 1 John 3 verse 4, and that says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning 
also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So God has created a way of living, and he's showed that to us through his different, uh, through his different commands, through his different laws, and he has called us to live by that set of laws, and it is our nature as human beings. Uh, the Bible says that sin passed through all of uh, creation so that all have sinned. Uh, we all have this sin nature, something the Bible calls our flesh, uh, and it is uh, this flesh really wants to kind of pull the reins back on our move towards holiness. It's going to really kind of uh, slow us down in our pursuit of that, to say the least. And so our relationship with sin, um, it's really important to understand that everybody gets painted with the same brush. The Bible says, for all have sinned. So 1 John 1.8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then Solomon in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 9 says, Who can say I've made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. A rhetorical question saying, obviously nobody gets to stand and say, yeah, my heart is pure and yours isn't. And as Christians, as people who have put their faith and trust in Christ, it's not like we have uh, been gifted from birth some... Um, moral high ground, and we just kind of all showed up here together, right? Uh, we are here because of the work that Christ has done. We don't come here under any claim uh, of uh, a higher moral fortitude. We don't care, come here with any moral advantage over anybody else. Uh, as Christians, we get painted with that same brush, and because of that, we have that same brokenness living in us. We have that same flesh that's pulling us back and drawing us in towards that sin nature that we have. And this makes holiness really hard. This makes holiness really difficult to move towards and even to desire. Uh, and one thing that we need to remind ourselves of constantly uh, is that sin equals death. And this is something that Paul says in Romans. He says, the wages of sin is death. The message words it this way. He says, work hard for your sin, your whole life, and your pension is death. So my pension isn't great, but it's not that bad. So our reward for doing sin, the Bible says, is going to be death. That's the only end result that we can get from doing sin, no matter how much we try to convince ourselves otherwise. And we're really good at kind of manipulating ourselves into sinning and lying about our sin and justifying our sin. And this is one of the really frustrating things, and Paul relates to that. And it's really encouraging when someone that you kind of look up to kind of says, yeah, I struggle with that too. That's, that's a difficulty for me too. And so Romans chapter 7 is a really refreshing place to go. So Romans 7 verse 19, he says a really well-known phrase. He says, I want to do, do it anyway. And then skipping down to verse 23, he says, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. So he talked about earlier in this passage, so uh, about how his mind wants to serve God. But he says, there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? I think that we can all relate to that feeling that Paul had. That feeling of, if only I could just be free of this sin. If only I could escape this, this dominance over my life, if only I could escape this power that is within me that is at war with my mind. And like I say, we, 
the, the problem is despite knowing that it's death, despite knowing that it leads to destruction, we still are really good at making justifications for it. And I have made plenty of justifications over the years. And some of the ways that I do this, sometimes I'll say, I deserve this. Like sometimes I'll think I've had a really hard week or I've had a really hard day. Uh, and so I just, I just deserve a little break from holiness. Uh, I think I'm going to treat myself. And that can kind of be our mind frame sometimes, is it's just, I'm going to do something unhealthy because I feel like I deserve it. Something else I'll tell myself is if no one knows, it's not a big deal, right? If I just stay over in the corner uh, and I do it and keep it to myself, I'm not hurting anybody else but myself, uh, and we think that that's just going to be absolutely fine. Something else that I'll tell myself is it's only a small sin. Right? This is a very common one. It's just a little white lie. I'm just taking something. Nobody's even going to miss it. Uh, you know, uh, this, is, this is being done for a, a better good. You know, I'm going to lie to my wife about how she looks in the dress uh, for the greater good. Um, still sin. Uh, something else we might say is someone else made me do it. Right? If they hadn't reacted that way, I wouldn't have reacted this way. So it's their fault that I sinned. Uh, and then something else um, that I've thought uh, more in frustration is if God wanted me to stop, he would have done something about it by now. And this is where it gets tricky uh, because that is a very reasonable thought and a very reasonable question. Um, and I have the privilege of working at Celebrate Recovery, uh, this outreach uh, and the idea of Celebrate Recovery is just that people come together uh, and they're honest about their sin, they're honest about where they are in their walk with God, they share their lives together and they work through, the, through those things together. It's an incredible space to do that in. Uh, and I've been part of groups like this for almost six years now. Um, and I'm not there because uh, I love to lead those groups and I love to help people work through sin and work towards life and godliness, I do, but I'm there because I need it. I need that space to be able to be honest about who I am and honest about my sin. And in the process of, of, of working with people uh, who kind of have these sins that have been with them for long periods of time, um, this idea comes up a lot that if God wanted me to stop, he would do something about it. And I've heard this question from my own lips in my own mind, and I've probably heard it dozens of times from other people who are working through sin in their life. If God wants me to be holy, why doesn't he save me from it? Why doesn't he take this from me? And it's a, it's, it's a very reasonable question. It's a very honest question, and it's a natural place for our minds to go when sometimes we've been struggling for sin for weeks and months and years and decades. Because that's the truth about uh, the sin story for many of us is that it's not this, uh, oh, I had a bad day. Sometimes it's, I've had a bad decade. And so it's natural for us to come to that place and go, why isn't God saving me from this? Why doesn't he do something about it? I've prayed to have him take it away. He says he has power over sin. He says he's victorious over it. And why is it still ruling in my life? And sometimes our justification for sinning is that we're just tired and we just kind of want to give up. And we're tired of failing over and over again and finding ourselves there again and again. 
And so what do we do with that? What do we do when we start to lose faith in God's call to holiness? Because that's what it is. It's, it's a faith that, that, that the commands and the laws and the way that God has asked us to live our lives is for our good. And time and time again, we will convince ourselves, this is okay, I'm going to allow a little bit of sin into my life, it's not a big deal, uh, it's okay. And we need to have that faith that God's call to holiness is something that is good for us and something that will redeem us out of our brokenness. And I just never believed that. I never, I never really had that faith in my own life for such a long time. I never believed that God's commandments were a path to joy. I just kind of thought that they were kind of challenges to prove my love to him, that it was just kind of like this, this moral code, this moral standard I just had to uphold. And if I did that, then I could be qualified as someone who loved God. And it, what it ended up being was just kind of a cold morality. Uh, sometimes I would follow the rules, but it was more so for outward appearances. But in reality, I kind of thought, sin kind of works for me sometimes. Sin sometimes uh, betters my life for a short period of time. Like, sometimes I can lie to people, and it makes me look really good. Like, instead of telling people, uh, I just didn't plan very well this morning, I'm late, I can just say my alarm clock didn't go off, right? Uh, and there's all kinds of ways that we can look at sin, and sometimes sin is fun, and sometimes uh, sin uh, might make our life a little bit better. Sometimes sin might pad our wallets and make it a little bit thicker. And we think, this seems okay. This doesn't seem like that big of a deal. And as we continue on down that path, what we find is that sin will always, always lead to death. Uh, I was reminded when I was at uh, camp a couple weeks ago, I mentioned that the speaker was talking about Israel or, or uh, being with God in the wilderness. And the story of the exodus of Israel is a remarkable story where uh, Israel had been in captivity for hundreds of years. Uh, they were kind of at their lowest point and were looking to God for help. Uh, and for so long, it seemed like uh, God wasn't there and God wasn't there. And then God showed up uh, and used Moses to redeem them from Egypt. Uh, we know the story about uh, the lamb that was used as a sacrifice and that blood was taken and it was painted on the, the doorpost and the lintel. And uh, they all left Egypt, miraculously crossed the Red Sea, and it says they sang a song of rejoicing on the other side of the Red Sea, praising God, and it's an incredible story. And then weeks or months later, Israel saying, I kind of want to go back. Remember how great it was? At least we had a roof over our heads back in Egypt. At least, uh, you know, we had, now they, they misremembered it uh, drastically. So they said, remember the leeks and the onions, oh, the delicious food that we had back in Egypt. Uh, so they were uh, maybe a little bit confused about exactly what they were going through. They were uh, being be beaten and whipped and used as slaves to build up the empire of Egypt. Uh, but they had this idea of what Egypt was like. And they thought it seems like it was pretty great. And so they were looking back and going, this seems better than the promises of God. Because right now in the wilderness, I, I'm not seeing it. It's hard and it's a struggle. And I want to go back. I want to go back to sin. I want to go back to Egypt. But you see, God was in the wilderness. 
And that was the big difference. And that God had a promise for them of a better place that was to come. And he said, follow me. And they kept looking back towards sin and death and saying, I kind of want to be there. And sometimes the ground has to fall out from your life before you start to realize that all of these patterns, all of these choices, all of these sins that you've done, that you've let slide, that you've let slip, that you've made excuse for, has ruined your life. And so when it comes to that question, why doesn't God just swoop in and take my sin away? Doesn't he want me to be holy? And one of the um, thoughts that I had about this as I kind of investigated this myself uh, was that in my life, I just had no idea the level of my brokenness. And so in my mind, I just kind of had this one kind of uncomfortable thing in my life and and, you know, I kind of kept it to myself, and no one really knew about it, but felt really guilty and shameful about it. And I thought, God, why don't you just come and take this away, and I would just be on top of the world. I'd just be nailing it as a Christian. I just wouldn't be broken anymore. I just need this thing dealt with, so why don't you come and take it? And God was saying, you have no idea how broken you are. You have no idea the depths of the sin in your life, how far it is saturated into how you treat people, how you love people. Your entire life is saturated and broken from sin. And so for God to come in and just take that sin away, that's fine, it's gone, uh, but what about the next sin and the next sin and the next sin? And so there's kind of this misunderstanding, I think, when we're like, God, why don't you just take this sin away? Don't you want me to be holy? And God's saying there's, there's more to it than this. There's a, there's a bigger transformation that has to happen in your life than just this one sin being taken away. And so my desire for holiness was totally built on this outward rule following, just this cold morality, as I mentioned earlier. And really all I wanted to do was just alleviate the guilt and shame that was in my life. It had nothing to do uh, with that idea of true holiness, of being separated and imitator of God and bringing glory to his name. I just kind of wanted my guilt and shame to be gone. It wasn't a call to joyful obedience, but kind of a begrudging morality. Um, so, again, last week at camp was a good week at camp. There's lots of, uh, there's lots of things that happened. But one of the things that uh, we got to enjoy, because it was just a day camp, the, all the campers left at 4.30, um, and the staff got to spend the evenings together, and myself and a, and a dear friend of mine, Matthew McLeod, and uh, the other counselor uh, stayed in a cabin together, and we had some really great conversations, spent some really good time together. And... Uh, Matthew is, uh, if you don't know him, he goes to the Cornwall site. Uh, he's one of the elders there uh, and uh, is a, has been a, a huge influence on my life. We've worked through a lot of life together, and we've had lots of conversations about life and godliness, and it was no different this, uh, that week at camp, uh, and sometimes, uh, sometimes it takes ridiculously late nights <laughs> uh, to work through things. And one of these nights, uh, myself and Matthew and this other counselor were, were talking about things. We were talking about life and godliness and sin and, and how we work through these, these things in my life. And uh, having these long conversations sometimes brings out really great insights. And Matt had this, this phrase that he said uh, about his own life uh, and that own experience of, of why doesn't God just come in and take my sin away? And it really made a lot of pieces 
fit together because I was already thinking about this message and it was one of those things that, that you kind of know but you weren't able to put into words. But what he said was, I wanted my sin to be gone more than I wanted a relationship with God. And that really struck a chord with me and it really started to help me understand that, that phrase of be holy because I'm holy. And so we think, why doesn't God just come in and take away our sins and free us from that sin that is keeping us from holiness? And the answer is because that doesn't bring us any closer to a relationship with him. Because uh, the problem is we need to be restored in our hearts and minds to God. It's not just about being free from sin. That's just cold religion and morality. God is calling us into a relationship with him. And so when we talk about those two pieces to uh, holiness, the first uh, that I talked about was that, that imitation uh, and being set aside to bring glory to God. And the other piece of it is a separation from sin so that we can have a relationship with him for our joy. So the first is to bring glory to him, and the second is to bring joy to us in relationship with him. And so what if this command to be holy because I am holy isn't that call to cold morality, but instead it is a call to come. Be where I am. I am separated from sin, and I want you to be with me so you separate from sin as well so that we can be in a relationship together. And it's in that relationship with God that we find joy. And this is the whole story of the Word of God. This is the whole story of the Bible, is that God has been working towards restoring relationship with us. And this is uh, the purpose that God created covenants with people and nations uh, through the Old Testament. Jeremiah 31 verse 33 says this, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. There's the purpose of that covenant with God. There's the purpose of God coming in and creating this relationship. He said, I want to be your God, and I want you to be my people. Another one of the ways that God has chosen to reveal himself to us is through being a father, which is a very relational title. So 1 John chapter 3 Verses 1 and 2 says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And so this is God's... Uh, God referring to himself as father is his call to make us his children. And so all of these pieces of trusting in God's call to holiness and that relationship, these two ideas are pillars that are rooted deeply in the gospel of Christ. Trust and relationship. Because the gospel tells us that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And why? For that relationship. So God's call to be holy as he is holy, is a call to imitation that will bring him glory and a relationship with him that will bring us joy. And if you're here this morning and you're not really familiar with all this, probably it's hard not to have heard about sin in one 
form or another. But if you're new to this idea of holiness and this relationship with God, I just want to invite you into that this morning. Uh, I want to invite you into the truth that Christ came into the world to save sinners. That Christ went to the cross. That he suffered and died for our sins. Uh, and he calls us and invites us into this relationship. And, and he, all he wants is trust, and he wants that relationship. He wants us to put our faith in the work of Christ, and he wants us to develop this relationship with him. To close, I want to read 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you might not sin. And so what does he say? What's, what's the secret to not sinning? First of all, he says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. It says, he is the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And there's the true ultimate secret to holiness, is this uh, work that Christ has done, that he can do in your life, because we are never going to get into that relationship with God without a transformed heart and a transformed life. And so that's what he's calling us into this morning. Uh, we're going to call on the band now and we're going to close with a song. So I invite you to uh, stand and sing with us. <laughs>